Amen. If you ever want to go through a convicting topic, just talk about money, right? Talk about money. And here Jesus starts off continuing to talk about our worship or our holy activities. He's already talked about alms or giving, whether it's tithing or giving to others. Then he talked about prayer, that we should go into our secret place. And now here he begins to speak about fasting. We know that the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. They're believed to fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays every single week. And here the Mount of Beatitudes, we should be reminded Jesus is addressing sons and daughters of the kingdom. He's not speaking to a bunch of unbelievers on how to get saved or how to work towards salvation. Here he's speaking about the characteristics that his sons and daughters should have. Characteristics of heaven-bound people, this is how we should be behaving. So here in 16 he says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. When you fast. Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, if you think about fasting, if you pray about fasting. He says, when you fast. And if we truly are heavenly bound people, we should have this evidence of fasting in our lives. Now, when was the last time you fasted? We sit back and think for a bit, right? Some of us who say, Zach, I fast several times a day. Between breakfast and lunch, there's a fast. Between lunch and dinner, I have another fast there. And between dinner and breakfast, there's another fast. Dessert breaks it sometimes, but there's another big fast there as well. Here Jesus, he's not just speaking about our fasting or intermittent fasting as it's popular today. But he's talking about the spiritual activity and practice of denying our flesh for spiritual reasons. So that we can hear from the Spirit in a deeper and in a louder way. And if we are heaven-bound people, these actions need to be evident in our lives. Earlier he said, when you give. Earlier he said, when you pray. And now he says, when you fast. The Puritans would call it soul-fattening fasting. Soul-fattening fasting. That as we deprive our flesh from food, we are strengthening and fattening our very own souls. We all need to be fasting. I encourage you, if you haven't fasted in a while, for the Lord and for prayer to hear His voice a little bit louder, I encourage you, take some time to fast. And when we fast, Jesus is asking, what is the motivation behind your fasting? Because Jesus has brought it up over and over and over again in Matthew chapter 5. It all goes back to our heart. All goes back to the heart. So what's the motivation behind our fasting? Do we hear that there's a church-wide fast and we think, you know what? I need to lose a couple pounds, so I'm going to join in with the church-wide fasting. We've lost the reward. We've lost the whole reason behind it. And here Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They were actors in their fasting. They would make sure that everyone knew what they were doing. They made themselves look even worse than what they really were. So for us, are we seeking to be more spiritual 
than we really are? Are we actually spiritual and holy people, or are we just concerned with putting out a spiritual and a holy facade? Just putting on the acting. They put on a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces so that they would appear to men to be fasting. And here Jesus says, they have their reward. The moment that they receive the attention from someone else, they've received their reward because that's what they were searching for to begin with. It's a funny thing whenever a group of believers or someone's fasting, they're almost fearful about it. They don't want to tell anyone about it. and that, That's a beautiful heart. But we should not be so afraid and fearful. Man, someone's going to find out that I'm fasting. I'm going to lose my reward. That's not what we should be concerned with. We should just be concerned with why am I fasting? Is it to hear from the Lord or is it to be appearing as holy to others? These Pharisees, they weren't searching to please God. They simply wanted the approval and the attention of men. And it's so dangerous for us. In our holy service, do we just want the approval of others? Do we just want the attention of others? We want other people to think we're more spiritual. We want others to think we're more holy. Or do we just want to be holy before the Lord our God? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, The real problem with the hypocrite is self-interest. Ultimately, our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may be pleased. That's the only reason someone's always seeking for others' approval, so that they would feel that approval and being pleased. David Brown, he comments and says, It was not the deed, but the reputation for the deed which they sought after. Again, it goes back to the heart. Are we just seeking for the reputation of being a holy person? We want that girl or guy that we're interested to think we're a little bit more holy so their parents will welcome us into the home. We want our in-laws to think we're more holy than we really are or that person at church. Or do we simply want to be well-pleasing before our Father? Verse 17, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Every parent of a middle school boy, if you want a verse over the bathroom, right? Anoint your head, wash your face. Here what Jesus is saying is, hey, take care of yourself. Take a shower. Put on some cologne. Do your hair. Don't put on a facade or an appearance so that other people will bring attention to yourself and say, hey, are you fasting? Wow, what gave you that idea, right? But Jesus is saying, instead, take care of yourself. Be more concerned with your father seeing you than men seeing you and thinking that you're holy. Just be your usual self. Don't seek to attract attention. Seek to be well-pleasing to our father in heaven. Chuck Smith, he says, Our service to God should be done for his attention, not for man's notice. It should all be done for God's attention. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 tells us, We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Our aim, our goal in this life is to be well-pleasing to Jesus Christ. To be well-pleasing to our Lord and Savior. 
Our goal and our aim is to please our Father in heaven. Not only is it a blessing to us when we're well-pleasing to him, but here Jesus promises us three times that when we are well-pleasing to him in secret, he's going to reward us openly. And, And today, if we're honest, it's so backwards. People constantly on social media are posting their good works. Hey, look what I'm doing here. Look what I'm doing there. And I think we can all agree social media is not the secret place, right? I think we can all agree on that. So if the whole reason why we're doing charitable deeds or prayer or fasting or acts of worship to our Father in heaven is to get the applause of others, we've gained our reward right there. As quickly as that applause comes and goes, your reward has come and gone. But he promises us three times in chapter 6 of Matthew. In verse 4, your charitable deed, if it's done in secret, your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Matthew chapter 6 verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Finally, we just read it, verse 18. Do not appear to be fasting to men, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, our worship is to the audience of one. Whether people see it or not, we shouldn't really care. We should be seeking to be well-pleasing to our Father in secret, and then He will reward us openly. F.B. Meyer, he gives us a test. He says, here's the test for our alms, our prayer, and our fasting from sin and self-indulgence. If we do any of these to maintain or increase the consideration that men have of us, they count for nothing in the eve of God. But whatever is done for him alone will secure his inevitable notice and reward. Dwell on that very definite assurance. He will reward you. There's no doubt about it. For every petition breathed into his ear, for every sigh, every tear, for every abstinence from sin and self, there will be a certain recompense after the divine measure. Such seeds will have a prolific harvest. Seek then the secret place where prying eyes cannot follow and curious ears cannot overhear. Simply put, live your life for the audience of one. It makes life so simple there. It makes life so much easier there when you're just concerned about the opinion of one being. Lots of times we can get tossed to and fro about, man, this is what my spouse thinks. This is what my in-laws thinks. But then my kids think this. And then I read online that this is bad for you. But then I read online here that this is good for you, right? And you're just tossed into a whirlwind of thought and trying to be well-pleasing to everyone. Instead, just seek to be well-pleasing to God. And your life will be simpler and more rewarding. Because he's going to reward you openly. We can think of Job. I don't think anybody wants to live the life of Job, right? There's no Job prayer book. At least that hasn't become a number one bestseller in America, right? The Job's prayer. But Job, he went through all of these difficulties 
openly. But he dealt with God in the secret place. Dealing with God in the secret place. Dealing with God in the secret place. And then in the end, Job was rewarded openly for everyone to see. There's only one being that's going to be able to declare to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not your in-laws. It's not your kids. It's not your grandkids. It's only our Father in heaven who will declare to us, well done, good and faithful slave. May we live our life in the secret place, chasing those beautiful words. Only one being can tell us that. Verse 19 through 21, back to Matthew 6. Now Jesus, he goes from talking about prayer and giving and fasting, and now he's going to start talking about our wallets. Now here's where we get even more uncomfortable, right? Verse 19 through 21, he tells us, Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here Jesus, he's warning all of his followers that earthly treasures are vulnerable. Earthly treasures are vulnerable. They're here today and they, be, they can be gone tomorrow. That new car, the moment you drive it off the lot, not only does it get hit with a bunch of depreciation, but it could get hit by somebody else. And then all the joy, all of the investment, it could be gone in a flash. But here Jesus is reminding us, earthly treasures, they're easily stolen. They're easily destroyed. Because we live in a sinful state, they're in the process of being destroyed and decaying. However, heavenly treasures... They are eternal, and they are protected for all of eternity. And Jesus desires for us to be wise investors. He doesn't want us to waste our time or waste our money or make poor investments. So he's asking us, hey, where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your money? Where are you investing your efforts? In the eternal things that will never pass away and will never decay and never lose their value? Or is all of your money and time and effort in earthly things which will one day pass away? We could turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we've been hitting this verse a lot through our journey in the Beatitudes. And we'll visit it one more time. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1 and 2, the heavenly mindset that each of us need to have. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Again, how do we invest our time, 
our money, and our effort. Where does it all go? Where is our focus, our aim, and our goals? Is it just in making more money? Is it simply in creating more comforts? Is it just in having more fun or buying more stuff? Then we are investing in things that are decaying and passing away. In Luke chapter 12, verse 18, Jesus gives us a parable of a very, very wealthy man. And the man has so much wealth, he doesn't know what to do with it. Right? What a great problem to have. He has so much wealth, he doesn't know what to do with it. So he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 18, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build even bigger barns. And in those bigger barns, I'm going to store all of my crops and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We have to be careful. There's a very thin line here where Jesus, he wants us to be wise with our finances. Jesus, he wants us to plan for tomorrow and store up in the summer so that when winter comes, we're ready. But here there's a warning that if our treasures are only for ourselves and only in this life, and if we're not rich towards God, our life's a waste. We're accumulating all of this wealth and all of this comfort, and we have no guarantee that we will be even able to enjoy it. There's no guarantee that we're going to be able to enjoy it. But if we're putting treasures in heaven, there's a promise and a guarantee that we will enjoy it there. And we will enjoy it for all of eternity. There's a moment that we don't know, but God knows. A moment marked in time where each and every one of our souls will be required of us. And then Jesus will ask us, what did we do with the talents and the blessings he's given us? With the ten talents or the five talents or the one talent. He's going to ask you, what did you do with the money And the time, the freedoms, and the health I have given you. What have you done with it all? And we're going to have to answer. Have we been a good steward with his blessings? Or have we simply wasted it away on our own selfishness? Once again, wealth and earthly treasures are not inherently evil. But our true treasure should be sent ahead of us towards heaven. Jesus is literally telling us here, treasure not up treasures on this earth. Don't be stacking all of your treasure here on earth, but instead treasure for yourself, treasures in heaven. There's always a great question, right? How much money do you need to be comfortable and to relax? And I think it's all dependent to how much we're making today, right? Because it's just going to be a little bit more than we're making right now. Just a little bit more than what's in the bank account right now. John D. Rockefeller, he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. He also said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. There's an old Roman proverb. It says, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. 
If our whole life is about money and putting treasures on this earth, it's unending. It's unending. The amount of comforts that we have today, it is unending. Are we putting ahead of us treasures in heaven? Charles Spurgeon, he tells us, Hold not earth's treasures with too firm of a grasp. Our bereavements would not be half so sharp if we always viewed our friends as being lent to us. A man does not cry when he has to return a tool which he has borrowed. Christ here first teaches us how to pray, and then he teaches us really how to live. He turns our thoughts from the object in life which allures and injures so many, but which is, after all, an unworthy object of our search. And he bids us to seek something higher, to seek something better, and to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are we making wise investments? Or later on, when we see our Lord face to face, will we be scratching our heads saying, man, that was a poor investment. I think many of us, we've been there. We've made an investment and we say, wow, that was a poor investment. That was a terrible investment. We were just talking about it before service, that in 2020, it seems like every young man all of a sudden became a stockbroker, right? And he knew everything about GameStop, AMC, and all about stocks. And some of them, they did it right. Some of them, they did it wrong, right? They were wrong. Then what happened? Are we making wise investments for all of eternity? Or are we going to be left with shame not wanting to tell our spouse where our investment went or how it went, right down, or is the way the investment went. Proverbs 11 verse 4 warns us, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 16, 16, How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. I encourage you, as you make your decisions in life, don't allow money to be the only reason you're making your decisions. Allow God and the things of God, the greater wealth in life, to be the key reason why you make your decisions. So often people, they make decisions only on money. We're going to move over here and life is going to be better. I'm going to take that job and life is going to be better. I'm going to do this and then life is going to be better. And then it all comes crashing down. But if we're making decisions for spiritual reasons, we can take the blessings in this life and in the one to come. Verse 21, Jesus warns us, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying there's no separation. We can't say, hey, my treasure's there in heaven, but my heart's down here on earth. He's saying wherever your treasure is, that's exactly where your heart is going to be as well. So a great question for us is, is our heart completely wrapped up in materialism? Or is our heart wrapped up into a heavenly mindset? As we read in Colossians 3, is our mind on the things above where Christ is and where he's dwelling? Or is our mind only down here in earth? Martin Luther, he says, whatever man loves, that is his God. For he carries it in his heart. He goes about with it day and night. He sleeps and he wakes up with it. What's your God? One of my neighbors, every morning, as soon as the sun rises, he's out there drying his cars. 
I'm literally, second the sun rises, I can open my window. He's out there. He, he's drying them. He's making sure they're right. What's the God in your life? For many people, sadly, it's our phone. We go to bed staring at it. We wake up, phantom wake-ups. Oh, did my phone ring? Oh, no, nothing happened. What's going on here, right? Put it back on your bed. You wake up, what's the first thing you do? You grab the thing and you look at it. Whether it's the social media or YouTube, whether it's the stock ticker, whatever the case may be, does your phone serve you or are you in service to your phone, whatever it's telling you to do? What is your God? What is the chief love in your life? Where is your heart attached to? Proverbs chapter 4, 23, it, it tells us, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Is our heart wrapped up in heavenly things or is our heart wrapped up in earthly things? Because that's what's going to begin springing up out of our life. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul here is warning his son in the faith, Timothy, about godliness and about just serving money and seeking after money. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it tells us, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. There's great gain there. Being godly and being content, there's a lot to gain there in life. And are we content with the blessings we have? The phone we have, we were once content with it, right? When we bought it, it was the newest phone. We were content. We were happy. But all of a sudden, magically, six months or a year later, I'm not content. I need the newest thing, right? Our, our, our houses, our cars, the different toys we buy, that contentment, it comes and goes so quickly. Let's take a step back and be content with what we have. Verse 7, why should we be content? Because we've brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. There's no U-Hauls following hearses, right? That doesn't happen. You don't go to a funeral, you're lowering the coffin, and here's the movers, right? Drop it all down there in the box. It's, it's left. Then he says, having food and having clothing, with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The desire for money and riches, it's evil. It's dangerous. Here he's telling us that it's a temptation. It's a snare. There's many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil that causes some to even stray from their walk 
and relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's not us. We're verse 11. We are to have our mindset on heavenly things and pursue righteousness, faith, godliness, love, patience, and gentleness. I encourage all the parents here. It's very important to encourage our kids to make financially wise decisions. But are we encouraging our kids to make spiritually wise decisions? We can be pretty heavy-handed on the jobs and money and wealth and all these things. But are we just as heavy-handed with spiritual decision-making? We should have both. You see, money is not the root of all kinds of evil. A lot of people, they twist the scripture into that. No, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Great question for us. Will you be going up to your treasures? Or will you be departing away from your treasures? If our treasures are all heavenward, we'll be excited about it. We'll be ready to see him face to face. But if all of our treasures are here on earth, then we're going to be attached to this earth. And we're not going to want to leave from it. At the pastor's conference, there was a session on the life of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, he lived a life of faith. There was a season where Israel was surrounded by the largest army at the time. 185,000 soldiers. And Israel had no answer. They were completely surrounded. They were under siege. They were running out of food, running out of water. So all Hezekiah could do was pray and ask God for a miracle. And in the middle of the night, God answered his prayer. He sent an angel, and in one night, the angel destroyed all 185,000 soldiers. Hezekiah was a man of faith, and God answered his prayers. But the story doesn't end there, sadly. Later on in life, God sends a prophet and the prophet comes to Hezekiah and tells him, Hezekiah, it's time to go home. It's time to see God face to face. And Hezekiah, he's not excited about going to see him face to face. He says, no, I want to stay here. Give me more time here. I want to stay here with my earthly treasures a bit longer. And the moment Hezekiah makes that decision, it's a downward spiral for his life the life of his family, and the life of the entire nation. Hezekiah would go on to literally invite other kings and princes to his palace to see all of his treasures. Are our treasures attached to this earth? Or are our treasures upward in heaven and we're saving them ahead of us? If you have an incredible retirement, you're looking forward to the age of 65 years old, right? Or whenever you could hit that retirement. Is our retirement plan in heaven fat and ready for us, right? Are we excited about getting there? Are we just attached to this earth and in the things of it? A.W. Tozer, he says, The streets of gold do not have too great of an appeal for those who pile up gold here on earth. If all of our gold is attached here, we're not going to be that excited about heaven. Do we simply desire more and more money so that we can spend it on lavish clothing. More and more money so we could spend it on lavish food that we take pictures of and send to other people, right? Or is our money simply a tool for heaven? Is that money given to us? And we see it for what it is. Hey, this is a tool that God has given me to be able to bless others. To be able to set up treasures in heaven, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, 
it tells us, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One commentator, he gave us a great warning. He says, honor God with your income, lest he match your income to your giving. Honor God with your income, lest he match your income to your giving. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 gives us a heavenly mindset for the toys we have here on earth, the treasures we have here on earth. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's all going to burn. Remind yourself of that as you're walking to your car after, church, after service. Just look at that thing, take a step back and say, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. One day, everything on this planet is going to be disintegrated. In a moment, it's all going to burn. So what type of person should we be in holy conduct and godliness? He's warning all of us. He's warning all of our disciples, all of his disciples, that our heart, our treasure, and our master will all line up and be at the exact same place. We, we can't pick and choose and say, hey, my treasure's over here and my master's up in heaven and my heart's over here. It does not work that way. Either God and heaven and our treasures will be there with him or all of our treasures and our heart and our master will be in materialism, comfort, and this earth. Matthew Henry says, worldlings make gold their God, but saints make God they're gold. Where is our life? Where's the things that excite us? The things that bless us? Is it only on the things on this earth? Or are we looking forward to heaven and the treasures we've set ahead of ourselves? When you get to heaven, how many people are going to find you and say, man, I would have never made it if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for you and you taking time to spend time with me. You blessing me. You giving me that gift. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. What treasures will await you in heaven? Verse 22 and 23. It says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? To be honest, reading this several times, at first I was confused. God, why are we talking about eyeballs all of a sudden here, right? And light and darkness. What's going on here? But here Jesus, he's staying in the context of either serving God or serving materialism. And Jews believe that the eye was the window into someone's soul. Maybe you have that family member that's afraid of you taking a picture of them, that you're going to steal their soul out of them, right? That's where that comes from. Ancient cultures believe that our eyes, they were the windows into our soul. 
And here Jesus is telling us that what our eyes are focused on is going to project into our body, and our whole body will then radiate that out into our entire lifestyle. We should look at a couple versions so we can get proper understanding of this. If the body is the eye and your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The New King James Version says, if your eye is good. The King James Version says, if your eye is single. The NASB says, if your eye is clear. And the ESV says, if your eye is healthy. And here, what Jesus is bringing to us is that if our eyes, if our focus is single and clear and healthy, then we're going to be good and light is going to come into us. So what is the focus, the aim, and the attitude of your life? Where's all of your focus? Where's all of your aim? Is it on the things of heaven or is it on the things here on earth? If our eyes are clear and have a single focus, then they will be healthy and good and bring even more light into our lives. Proverbs 4 Verse 25 tells us, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. Jesus, staying within the context of money and treasures, is warning us that if the focus of our life and attitude on finances is off, it's going to affect our entire life. I don't know if growing up you ever made a funny face at your mom and you crossed your eyes, right? And what did she tell you? Careful, it's going to get stuck like that, right? It's not fun to walk around being cross-eyed. You're, you're going to trip into things. Bad things are going to happen. And that's what happens to us when we try to say, hey, my focus is on God over here, but then my left eye is going to be focused over here on just money and wealth and comfort. It's not going to work. Only bad things are going to happen. We need to have a single focus on serving God and God alone. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 tells us, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will himself be watered. Generous people tend to just be happier people. More people want to be around generous people. However, selfish people, they tend to be miserable people. And less and less people want to be around someone who's always selfish and always thinking about themselves. And Scripture has told us this for thousands of years. Acts chapter 20, verse 25, it tells us to remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you're a generous person and you're always giving, you're going to be the blessed type of person. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8, Jesus tells us, freely you have received, freely you should give. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. He's going to take care of us, but our focus, our aim needs to be on the kingdom of God and on his righteousness. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us a sneak peek into the future. 
A sneak peek into the end of the age. Matthew 25, verse 31. It tells us, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Family, how generous are we? How generous are we? How selfish are we? Pretty selfish if we're honest, right? How often are we helping others or giving to others? Sadly, many of us as parents, we're failing our kids and we're teaching them that the whole world revolves around them. And that's not the case. We need to teach them biblical truths that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the king will say, hey, as much as we do it to one of the least of the brethren... We've done it to him. Again, generous people tend to be happier people and selfish people tend to be miserable people, not only in this life, but also in the next life. David Brown, he says, A man's inward purpose, scope, and aim in life determines his character. If these be not simple and heavenward, but distorted and double, What must all the other faculties and principles of our nature be which take their direction and character from these? And what must the whole man and the whole life be but a mass of darkness? Family, what's the purpose of your life? What's the goal of your life? What's the aim of your life? If you have no goal, no purpose, no no aim, I encourage you, Press into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to give you purpose and aim in your life. For many of the young men here, if you have no purpose, no aim in your life, get alone with Jesus. He has an aim and a goal and a purpose for you. Because if we have no aim in life, if we're just going around aimless, if we have no purpose in life, we will be just that mass of darkness. There's going to be no goodness, no light, no blessing coming out of us. We're just going to be darkness and selfishness and self-centeredness. That's why he tells us in verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Adam Clark tells us that an evil lie was a phrase in use among the ancient Jews to denote an envious and a covetous man or a, dispo, or a disposition of a man who was repined at his neighbor's prosperity, loved his own money, and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. Are you the one giving the blessing or are you always the one looking for blessings around you? If we handle our finances in a biblical manner, our lives are going to be filled with light, blessings, and happiness, and joy. But if we don't, our lives are going to be filled with darkness, stress, anxiety, selfishness, and evil. It's a great question, and it's very convicting for me before I studied, convicting at the 9 a.m. and convicting here at the 11 a.m. Look at your finances and ask yourself, have I conducted my finances in a biblical manner? At the end of the week, at the end of the month, look at the spreadsheets and ask yourself, have I been biblical here? And very quickly, we can cut out certain sins. Any money just spent on ample alcohol or drugs or pornography or evil and sin, gambling, very quickly we could take a step back and say, this isn't biblical. But it goes deeper than that. If all of our money is just spent on lavish living and excess and comfort upon comfort upon comfort, we can take a step back and be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm not laying up treasures in heaven. Lord, forgive me. Help me to here now begin to lay up treasures in heaven. Because where we spend our money reveals where our heart is. And where our heart is... There are treasures, and where our heart and our treasure is, that is where our God and our focus is all on. Is our spending, is it biblical or is it worldly? Is it no different than any worldly, any unbiblical person, any unbeliever, or can we see that there's a heavenly influence upon our spending habits? James chapter 4 verse 4 warns us, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. David Guzik says, often a materialistic, miserly, and selfish Christian justifies their sin by saying, it's just one area of my life. But even as the darkness of the eye affects everything in the body, so a wrong attitude towards material things brings darkness into our whole being. The things we have, they're blessings from God. They are tools and talents for the master's use. That's why he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Only one thing or one person can truly be the master and the Lord of our lives. There's no multitasking when it comes to being owned by someone or something. We cannot swear total allegiance or complete obedience to multiple people or multiple things. Sooner or later, they are going to disagree. And your love and loyalty will be attached to your true master. 
Right? It's the danger of being married and always listening to your mom or dad, right? If we could get that deep in there, right? You're going to serve one master at the end of the day. And the same is true with our finances. Is it God or is it materialism, comforts, and treasures here on this earth? Our focus, aim, and attitude of our life needs to be singular. Singular focus. One focus with both of our eyes. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. That singular focus. Charles Spurgeon gives us a great analogy. He says, suppose you see a lake and there are 20 or 30 streams running into this lake. Why? There won't be one strong river in the whole entire country. There will be a number of little brooks which will be dried up each summer and will be temporary torrents in the winter. Every one of them will be useless for any great purpose because there's not enough water in the lake to feed more than one great stream. Now a man's heart only has enough life in it to pursue one object fully. You must not give half of your love to Christ and the other half to the world. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. I think there's a great lie that Satan gives to many of us that our life does not have a great purpose. You, you talk to little kids and all of them, they have great purpose in their lives. You ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they have these great ideas. I want to serve people. I want to love people, protect people, protect life, do great things. You don't hear many kids say, hey, I just want to be a, a mediocre person when I grow up, right? I just want to be an average dad when I grow up. They all have this great purpose in their life, and God has given each of us great purpose. But we buy into the lies of the enemy. We buy into comfort being our God, and then we're fearful of letting go of our comfort to pursue a greater purpose in life. God has great purpose for us, whether it's just loving our spouse or raising up godly sons and daughters, or whether it's a business, a church, a city, or a whole nation. God has given us great purpose, but if our love is fractured, then we can't do any great purpose for our Father in heaven. We need to be careful and not allow money to be our God. Money is a cruel God, a cruel master. It comes quickly and it goes quickly. And it asks us to make sacrifices upon sacrifices upon sacrifices. Sadly, there are many believers that have regrets in how much they worked, how much of their life they gave to this company and that boss and this company and that boss when their spouse and their kids have all grown up. We need to allow money to be a tool, a talent in our life to serve the Lord our God. It's not our master. It's not our comforter. It's a tool ready for our master's use. And it's important for us to remember, it's not wrong to be wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. David was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Moses, beginning of his life, was wealthy. Many believers in the Old and New Testament were wealthy. It's also not sinful to have nice things. The question for us is, do you own nice things or do your nice things own you? Who's owning who? 
Romans chapter 6, verse 16 tells us, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Again, it's not evil to have nice things, but are you slave to your nice things? A couple questions we can ask ourselves to realize, okay, has this become a God or is this just a nice thing in my life? Is that object the source of your life, happiness, and fulfillment? If that thing gets broken, if that thing gets damaged, are you all of a sudden having a crisis in your life? Does your life all of a sudden have no meaning? Are you all of a sudden just sad and broken and have no fulfillment in your life? Our source of life and happiness and fulfillment and joy needs to be in Jesus Christ. Another question is, what's the topic of your conversations? What's the topic that you continually bring to the top of your conversations? Is it heavenly things or is it just the stuff that you possess? Is it God or is it just wealth and possessions? Great questions to ask. Hey, has this thing become my idol? All right. If your spouse scratches it by accident, are you relaxed and calm and keel? Or you do you all of a sudden blow up on your spouse? How could you do this, right? And now you're freaking out all of a sudden. Husbands, if your wife ever gets into a car accident, don't ask her about the car first. <laughs> ask her how she's doing. How's the kids doing? Because then your heart is going to be revealed if you care about the car more than her or not. And maybe some of us, we've been here the whole service and we've been relaxed. We've been even keeled. We're saying, Zach, don't worry. I am broke. <laughs> Money's not my God because I have no money. I, I have zero temptation with this. We have great warning here. Because we are just as prone to covetousness and selfishness and lying when it comes to money and wealth as the richest man out there. It all goes back to the heart. That's what Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 has shown us. It all goes back to the heart. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 tells us that there's one who scatters and yet he increases even more. And yet there's one that withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. And sadly, there's just some Christians that they just want to hoard all of their money and all of their goods. And they don't want to share it with anyone or anything else. And sadly, oftentimes it leads to maybe not financial poverty, but when it comes to quality of life and being filled with the Spirit, it absolutely leads to poverty. In the beginning of the church in Acts 11, verse 29, it tells us, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Each of us have a certain ability to give, no matter if we're the richest person out there or if we're the poorest person. Even that widow was able to give two mites for the Lord in her act of worship. We're all in danger of serving money and wealth instead of God. We're all in danger, especially with social media, to constantly be coveting, to constantly be lying in order to save a few bucks wishing that we had a few more dollars to our own name. Great question for the things in our life, the nice things in our life. Does the thought of giving someone that nice thing 
Does it give you anxiety and fear and you have, your, your mind is breaking? Then your possessions, they possess you. Your possessions own you. But if you're able to freely receive and freely give, then it's just tools ready for the master's use. We need to choose today who's going to be our master. Where will our treasure, our focus, and our heart be attached to? Will it be this world and this world's stuff and comfort that comes and goes? Or will it be heavenly treasures and blessings that will bless us in this life and in the life to come? Throughout the pastoral epistles, there's a man by the name of Demas. And Demas, he was once serving with Paul, going on missionary trips, spoken well of by Paul. But sadly, in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes that Demas has forsaken me. Why did Demas leave Paul? Because he loved this present world. And just as 1 Timothy 6 warned us, the love of this world, the love of money, the love of comfort, it has shipwrecked many men and women in the faith. We need to make that decision. Like Joshua, in Joshua 24, verse 15. Worship team, you guys can come up. Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that, that's the warning to each and every one of us. Are we just serving the gods of our ancestors or serving the gods of our culture, serving the gods of our heritage, serving the gods of who we once were before we came to Christ? Are we just serving the gods of America? Why is America in such a bad spiral? Because God has become our money. I mean, money has become our God. God this is all about money, our judicial system, our government. Senators, governors, so many of them, it's all just fueled about money. And that's why we're in this terrible spiral. So will we serve money or will we serve the Lord our God? And we say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your word, it touches on each topic of our lives. And God, we just cry out to you that you'd speak to us. You'd minister to us, God. And Lord, perhaps there's someone here this morning and Lord, they, they don't know you yet, Lord. They don't have a relationship with you, Lord. They don't have a, a friendship with you, God. I, I pray that this afternoon, Lord, today would be that day of salvation. That today they would cry out to you, Lord. They would repent of their sins and say, Jesus, I want to serve you every day from here on out, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with Lord, those of us, perhaps our finances are a bit thinner than others, Lord. Help us to be biblical, Lord. Help us to not serve anxiety and fear and depression, Lord. Help us to serve you and follow you all the days of our life. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand and we'll close in worship. If you need prayer, there's pastors up front. Whether you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, I encourage you to come up front and pray with one of the pastors. Maybe you've had difficulty this week, you want to pray for a family member, I encourage you to just come up front and pray with one of the pastors.